Asian American viciously beaten on a New York City subway. This week on the Big Story Podcast. Brazen attacks against Asian Americans. In San Francisco, this 84-year-old Thai man died after being shoved. Harassment isn't just against the black and Hispanic community. We've seen plenty of attacks against Asians. The latest cases caught on camera. Asians verbally and physically attacked. The attacker ambushed me from behind, knocked me down on the ground. I was able to get up and I took out my camera. He found her in the sandpit, unconscious, pale, with her shirt pulled up, blood everywhere, blue and black, swollen. A long history of discrimination. The railroads had already been built. The Chinese had outlived their usefulness, so they became the target. People organized anti-Asian campaigns to throw the Chinese out. The Chinese must go was the slogan that people used singled out as outsiders. Whenever there was an economic crisis in America, it was Asian Americans that would be blamed. But no longer silenced. Xenophobia is an American tradition in and of itself. It is at the underbelly of American society. It's this undercurrent. I'm Joe Zarenko, a producer here at Big Story, bringing you another installment from our documentary series, The Race Gap in the U.S. This episode focuses on the increasing number of attacks against Asian Americans. Our correspondent, Jerry Hayden, traveled to California to the San Francisco Bay Area, where many anti-Asian incidents have occurred. He talked to a number of victims of racial animosity and also explored the roots of racism against Asian Americans in the U.S. While racism against other minority groups has gotten a good amount of attention, anti-Asian sentiment has been less reported on until recently. We hope you find the stories and insights from the people interviewed for this show as eye-opening and enlightening as we did. This episode of the Big Story Podcast is called The Race Gap in the U.S., Asian Americans. Across the U.S., there's been a shocking spike in Asian hate crimes. Seven farm workers shot to death in a mass shooting 11 dead in another shooting spree at a Lunar New Year event. Six Asian women killed in the multiple spa shootings. Attacks, shootings, killings. It sounds more like war than ordinary life. Normalcy is harder to come by these days in Asian-American communities. Carl Yu, a middle-aged Asian man, was attacked on the street as he was supporting other victims of hate crimes. Someone ambushed me from behind, 
knocked me down on the ground, uh, but I was able to push myself up. And then the uh, the attacker, uh, he was at least six foot tall and over 200 pounds. But fortunately, I escaped death. I was able to get up and I took out my camera, called the police, uh, sent the pictures to the police. Within less than an hour, I saw him right across the street. So the police officers were about to leave. I waved at them, I said, come on, come on, we gotta go. So I chased after you know, the attacker. Uh, when I, once I got there, the police cars also arrived. So they uh, caught the uh, perpetrator. So he was in custody and I was so happy. You know why? Because I did not want this person to attack another innocent uh, person. The story I share is not about what happened to me. It's about we cannot become victims. Carl was lucky not to be badly injured. Older victims often have no defense. Susana Yi lives in southwest San Francisco in her family home. The house, she says, is very zen and soothing. Her days are filled with gardening, meditation, and memories of her grandma. There was this memory of my grandmother making sure that we got to school safely. So she used to walk us to school, but as we got older, going to the elementary school uh, down the hill, there was a spot on the playground where I can see the window of this house, the second floor window. And so she'll <laughs> wave at me, I'll wave at her, just to signal that I arrived safely to school. But that peaceful existence was shattered one morning on what was to become one of the most harrowing days of Sasana's life. I had just finished my morning meditation and I hear scrambling in the house and my mom in panic. And so we, being myself, my dad, my mom, run out of this house, down the block to the playground or towards her house, which is across the street from the playground, trying to look for her. So my dad, knows that she likes to circumvent the playground and he walked around to look for her there while I went to the house. Um, and he found her in the sand pit, unconscious, pale, with her shirt um, pulled up. We think she might have been dragged and hardly recognizable, just blood everywhere, blue and black and swollen. And later we find out that the skull, her face has been broken and eyes punched in and um, brain damage, various bones in her body uh, broken. She was in a coma for a while and we were told that they found a, her cane. Her cane was tossed over a building, like maybe it landed on the roof of the nearby Boys and Girls Club. Probably he bludgeoned her with her cane. Police eventually arrested a 17-year-old boy for the murder. He awaits trial, though prosecutors say they don't have enough evidence to charge him with a hate crime. The emotional toll her grandmother's murder took on the family made it hard to talk about. 
But Susana is speaking out despite the pain. I had a choice. It was really clear. If I don't say anything, who will? Let's be another story that gets swept under the carpet because it always does. I was tired of it. I am tired of it. And this is why I keep speaking. I don't want this to happen again. And people need to know that there's harm, there's pain. We're not immune to that. And that there's a different way to have our needs met. Chinese laborers were among the first Asians to come to the U.S. in the mid-19th century. They played an instrumental role in building the transcontinental railroad. But when the job was done, the backs turned quickly, according to Asian-American filmmaker Valerie So. After the Civil War, there was a giant economic depression in the U.S. I want to say the 1865-ish, and people were looking for somebody to blame. So the railroads had already been built, the Chinese had outlived their usefulness, so they became the target. Then there was a ton of anti-Asian sentiment and organized anti-Asian campaigns to throw the Chinese out, right? The Chinese must go was the slogan that people used. Harvey Dong, who teaches ethnic studies at UC Berkeley, says there were Chinese racial slurs. One was calling a Chinese man a coolie, a derogatory term used for a low-wage laborer, often of Asian descent. There was a lot of stereotype images of the Chinese coolie coming over, undercutting the wages causing unemployment of white workers. And this was used heavily by labor unions that aspired to gain more white membership by creating this idea that the working class is white and Asians are tools of monopoly and Asians are harmful. And it was also used by politicians who wanted to get into office. Helen Zia, a Chinese-American journalist who's covered Asian-American hate crimes, agrees. She says Asians have been used as a scapegoat throughout American history. Whenever there was an economic crisis in America, it was Asian-Americans that would be blamed. In 1875, the U.S. passed the Page Act, which barred Chinese women from entering the U.S. In 1882, all Chinese were barred from immigrating to the U.S. under the Chinese Exclusion Act. Ten years later, the Geary Act tightened the screws. It required Chinese already in the U.S. to carry documentation. Harvey Dong explains. It's very scary for people, you know, because 
uh, Chinese were rounded up on the streets. They were asked for their proof of residency. If you didn't have your ID, according to the Gary Law, you had to find two white witnesses who are willing to testify that you were here legally. And if you could not find two white witnesses, you would be deported, you know. It was in 1943 when the Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed during the war against Japan. It's just because China was an ally at that time. So it wasn't because all of a sudden the U.S. government decided that they were wrong and that they loved the Chinese now. It's just because they wanted to, to appease their allies. Fast forward to today, during the COVID-19 pandemic, anti-Asian hate crimes surged to an astronomical rate across the U.S. Linda Ju is a journalist born and bred in San Francisco. My father, many years ago, always told me that, you know, I would never be accepted as a real American. I would always be seen as Asian, as Chinese. And he and I used to have arguments about that because I was so, you know, I was an American-born Asian and I considered myself American. And I was always outraged when he would say that. But an experience Linda had during the COVID pandemic in 2020 made her realize not everyone sees her the way she thought. I was having dinner in a restaurant in Marin County and I walked in and there was this man sitting at uh, the table across from ours with his family. And from the moment I walked in, he, when, and he looked up, he just continued staring at me the whole time I was sitting down at the table having dinner. And I couldn't understand why. And it took me a few days to understand what that was about. That's your nice way to leave, dude. kind of food, shove it up your mother sir. coronavirus, go yourself, corona. Thank you. About a week later, my 80-year-old aunt, who lives across the bay, was taking her daily walk around the area where she lives, and she encountered, for the first time, uh, stares, hostile stares from white passerbys. So that's when I began to realize, oh, we're, we're having, this is another cycle of anti-Asian sentiment, and it's going to get worse. And that's what happened. This recent round of, of uh, anti-Asian sentiment just dispels any notion of, of colorblindness in our country because no matter how high we rise, whether it's Asians or Blacks or Latinos, we will always be seen as others. And uh, this whole thing about colorblindness is just a sheer myth. Filmmaker Valerie So had a similar experience to Linda's at a shopping mall. So they're all standing in the line, and there's like 30 people on the line. And all of a sudden, this one person comes out of another store in the same mall and says, you Asians, this is why we have to stand in line. And she's just ranting, 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 ranting. So says the experience was all the more offensive to her because she had just started a mask-making club during the pandemic trying to save vulnerable people. The mask club was called the Anti-Sewing Squad. The Anti-Sewing Squad is definitely a way to push back against a lot of the problems that were happening during the pandemic, partially just to help people get PPE and save their lives. But also because there was like a, a lot of this anti-Asian rhetoric, a lot of the aunties are Asian or people of color, women of color. 
So, you know, we really felt like it was a way to organize and address some of the neglect of communities of color. Like so, other victims are doing what they can to combat the anti-Asian sentiment. Sasana Yi distributes self-defense and safety awareness flyers. She also educates people about Asian American heritage. The school districts that I've been a part of has very little curriculum around Asian American history. I barely remember learning anything about my heritage or people who look like me, uh, people from Asia. With more understanding, that creates belonging, that creates inclusivity, that creates empathy and understanding. And so all of that's sort of missing because it's, in America, a black and white culture. And we've forgotten everyone else. Where do we belong? Carl Yu does his part by defending other Asian Americans if he sees them being mistreated or harassed. I don't want to stay down because experience and when I'm seeing all these attacks, if you're down on the ground, they will keep on attacking you. So I was trying to fight hard to stand up, which I did. I stood up, I was facing the attacker, and then since then, he's taking charge and starting to say enough is enough. For Linda Ju, the argument she and her father had about being treated as a real American may continue. But to Linda, what's going on is about human rights. When I was raised, I was always told, get a good education, do what you need to do to get ahead, blend in, don't make any trouble, be a good American. And I think we've all tried to do that, and it's a myth. What this particular cycle has engendered or woken up among Asian Americans is that no longer is it about us becoming American and blending in and assimilating. It's about fighting for our rights. That's all for the Big Story podcast this week. We want to thank our correspondent in the field, Jerry Hayden, as well as Kaishu Zhao and Omar Teitelbaum here in our CGTN studios. If you want to check the full-length documentary or any of the other episodes in the Race Gap series, check the links on the show's notes or go to CGTN Now on Apple TV.